You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. You know, we're in a series that we're calling It's Your Turn, and uh, we want to keep before us the next generation because as a church, we believe it's our turn. We're, we're advancing the gospel. We're building the kingdom of God in this community, and uh, we are, we're building that legacy off of the legacy that was uh, created for us from those who came before us. They uh, planted churches before this place was even settled, and, and uh, these churches had been grown and, and uh, had been developed, and, and now we come into this area, and, and God has given us this mantle. He's given us a turn to do our part, and so we've been focusing on this over the last few weeks. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter four today, one of my favorite passages of scripture in all of the Bible, and uh, as you're turning there, uh, yesterday was Rivalry Saturday. Uh, so if you're a college football fan, yesterday was a gift from God, and it was a gift from God. It was a glorious day because the Buckeyes beat the team from up north, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And uh, I don't know if anybody here cares, maybe a couple. Um, but also Auburn beat Alabama, which is a cool thing. Yeah, I knew that would, that would get some response. If you're an Alabama fan, we still love you. We were just glad to see you get beat. Um, and of course, Tennessee beat Vandy, which was another uh, big rivalry. So that was, that was good stuff. And so anytime you watch good rivalry games like that, uh, both teams kind of bring out the best in each other. You know, you, you look at Vandy and you didn't really think they had a chance, but man, they gave it all they had, you know, and, and uh, that's what happens in rivalries. And sometimes in a rivalry game, the best team doesn't actually win. Sometimes the, the, the team that wins is the team that maybe is working harder or maybe plays together as a team better. Maybe they were more prepared. And, and, uh, and so sometimes the, the best team doesn't win, but uh, we, we, we see in the Bible that God understands teamwork. God, in fact, created teamwork. And so uh, this is what I love about the scripture. It's so practical for us today. And, and uh, what I do know about teams is that great teams are made up of great teammates, and so it takes everyone on the team doing their part in order to accomplish the goal, win the game, and do the things that the coach is calling us to do, right? And so when we look at the New Testament, we see that God really demonstrates this idea of, of being on a team when he talks about the church. And in fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul likens the church to a body. He says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. So the idea here that he is teaching us is that as the church, we are made up of, of, of different parts, just like a body has different parts. We have different parts, we have different functions, we're gifted in different ways. And as we use those giftings, as we use the things that God has blessed us with, we are in fact using that for his glory. And so the church is a body or the church is a team. And it takes every single teammate on the team doing their part for us to do what God is calling us to do, for us to be healthy, for us to be successful. And so today I wanna really land on this idea. Week one, we talked about having the right values as a church and individually. Uh, last week, we talked about following the right guide and being guided by the right spirit. And so obviously the Holy Spirit being that guide in our life. And today we wanna look at, okay, 
why do we need to be on a team and the importance and value of a team and how do you be a good teammate on the team? These are questions that I think we all need to wrestle with as a church and all need to wrestle with as followers of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles in chapter four, we're gonna start in verse one. Let's look at it together. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the, for, uh, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. By grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Let's just pause there for a minute. We're gonna continue to read some of the uh, uh, verses here in chapter four, but let's just pause to kind of start unpacking what this means for us. First of all, he says he's a prisoner of the Lord and he is urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So every single person in this room, if you're taking notes, number one is everyone has a calling. Everyone is called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And so we just wanna start today by questioning ourselves. Are you walking in a way that is worthy to the calling that God has placed on your individual life? This is coming from God today and we wanna, we wanna wrestle with this. Are you fulfilling? Are you walking in a worthy manner? And if you're not today, if we get through this message and you get to the end of this and you kind of wake up and realize, man, I am not walking in a manner that is worthy of my calling, therefore there are some changes that I perhaps need to make. Well, when he uses the word uh, worthy of the calling, what he is talking about here is, is, is this word that really means a balance of weight. And so um, in, back in the day at this time, when you went to the market to buy flour or grain or, or wheat or whatever it was, they would use weights on a measuring scale, not like your bathroom scale, but a literal scale. And they would put like a one pound weight on one side. And then they would put the grain on the other side of the weight until it was equal. And then they would know, okay, that's the, that is the amount that is worthy to the weight of one pound. And so the idea for Paul here is that we would walk in a manner that is worthy of the gift that you have received. So the gift, the weight of the gospel and of this life transforming power that is in Jesus Christ has been given to us. This is the weight. And now we are to measure and weigh that salvation and weigh that work and weigh that glorious gift by walking in a manner that is worthy to that calling. In other words, it would balance itself out. And so we're to, we're to walk in a manner that is worthy of this calling. Think of it like this. If you've ever sold a house, maybe you sold a car or something like that, how much is your house really worth? You could put it on the market today for a million dollars if you wanted to, but your house is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it, right? And so, in light of that, if we are Christians, we ask ourselves, what is our salvation really worth? What is our calling really worth? Because the value of your salvation is going to determine how you actually live your life. Here we have this glorious weight of, of this glorious gift that God has given to us in Jesus, our salvation. 
And so if that salvation has not changed how we live, if it hasn't changed how we act, how we treat people, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, then we are not walking with an equal weight and measurement of that great gift. I love what the great reformer and theologian, German theologian uh, Martin Luther said. He said, a faith that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And I love that. Because if, if you have faith today, but that faith has not caused you to give anything, it's worth nothing. If you claim to have faith today, it hasn't cost you anything, you're not suffering anything for that, then essentially you're not walking in a worthy manner. It is worthless to you. And so that's why Paul says here in chapter four, he tells us as he's in jail that it is worth it to follow God, to live for God, to honor God, to discover your purpose in Christ. There is no purpose outside of Christ. He's, he's saying it is worth it. I'm in a jail cell. This isn't after he gets out of jail and his feet are kicked up and he's eating popcorn and his lazy boy. No, this is while he is in prison, starving, being beaten and tortured, separated from his loved ones. He's saying it's worth it. Now, what does walking worthy to this calling and, and balancing the scales in this area, what does it really look like? Well, first of all, we recognize we all have a calling. But secondly, if you're taking notes, everyone needs to join a team. To, to walk in a worthy manner means that you are joining a team. So if you look at verse uh, four again, he's saying there's one body, one spirit. We're called to this one body. Basically, this whole passage and many more in the New Testament assumes that you are going to be a part of the local church. You cannot do what God is calling you to do in this chapter if you are not connected to a local church. And so he's calling us, he's telling us, first and foremost, yes, you have a calling. And part of that calling, walking in that worthy manner, is that you would actually be connected to a church. So if you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're, if, you're, if you're not connecting to a church, but you're calling yourself a Christian, it's kinda like you playing football all by yourself in your front yard. You're gonna look really weird, the neighbors are gonna think you're crazy, and it's not gonna work very well. Right? Why? Because you need a team to play football. You, you gotta have a team around you. Listen, you need a team around you to accomplish the vision that God has specifically given to you for your life. You're not gonna get there on your own. You're not gonna accomplish it on your own. In fact, if you can accomplish it on your own, it's not a God-sized vision. It's not really what God is really calling you to because what he really wants you to do is always, always, always gonna require his team, the church, and the support of that church around you. So, God is a relational God. We know this. He is a relational God. He created us to live in relationships. This is how we mature. It's why we talk about small groups consistently here at FC. Because in a small group, you're gonna be encouraged, you're gonna be held accountable, you're gonna learn, you're gonna grow, and you're also gonna be able to invest into other people's lives. It's why some of you need to be leaders in a small group because when you're the leader, now you, you are shepherding. Now you are using your gifts in a unique way. You're studying the scripture in a, in a more uh, in a deeper way so that you can share that with your group. Some of you need to take that step. And as he's teaching us, he's, he's, he's sharing this in a culture that is completely divisive, completely divided. 
Now, we live in America, and we think we are a divided country, and in many ways we are, but in this time, it was far, far worse. Because if you were wealthy, you did not associate with people who were poor. Uh, If you were a Gentile, you did not associate with a Jew. If you were a woman, you were looked down upon in circles, and so you were not accepted or honored in in, in so many ways. Uh, Different races, they never intermingled. And so now the church is created. And now through the gospel, Paul is saying, you are called to be united as a church. And in the confines of this church, it's gonna cross barriers of wealth. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It's gonna cross racial barriers. It's gonna cross Gentile and Jew. Now everyone is called to be and to unite in unity in God's church. How in the world is this gonna be possible? There's too many differences, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna be crazy. And Paul's teaching us here that the thing that unifies us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we seek unity here to make disciples, then we lay down our preferences. We lay down what makes us feel comfortable so that we preserve unity in the gospel to advance the gospel and to take the gospel to this community. So it's no longer about what I think is cool or what what I want or how I'm comfortable or where I have to park or how much money I have to give or how much work I have to serve. No, I willingly step into that to preserve the unity so that more people would experience the life-transforming power of the gospel. Now, how in the world do we actually unify with so many different people in the room, with so many different backgrounds, with so many different personalities? He gives us five characteristics here, five easy characteristics that you're not having an issue with, so let me just run through them. First of all, it's humility. Nobody has an issue with that, right? Humility. Now, what is humility? We, we think sometimes humility is when you think you're an idiot or whatever, but it's not you thinking that you're an idiot. I love how C.S. Lewis defines this. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm not worth anything. No, true humility is thinking of yourself less. In other words, you're humbling yourself. You're letting down your ego and pride, and you're saying, you know what? It's not about me. It's about someone else. It's about them. If we're gonna care for the people in this city, if we're gonna care for those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ today, then we're gonna be a people who are united in a humble manner that would think less about ourselves and care more about them. We would care more about the next generation than what feels comfortable to us. We would would all consistently do this in our lives. What, What reaches the next generation? What's gonna connect with the unchurched in our community? I know what we like. I know how we like to be comfortable, but let's get rid of that. Let's humble ourselves and think of others first. Our culture says, get yours, man. Be first, get a good seat, park in the good spot. And Jesus consistently tells us to think less of yourself, to humble yourself. Philippians 2 says it in a great way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What if we walked in every Sunday morning thinking about this verse? Let's think more, uh, more about other people. Let's consider them more significant than ourselves. We spend all week thinking that we're the significant ones. I would say 99%, maybe almost 100% of your marriage issues are that you think that you're more significant than your spouse. Your issues and problems are more important and more significant than his or than hers. 
And God would say, whoa, 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 whoa. You wanna get to the good part of marriage? You wanna get to the good part of relationships? You wanna get to the good part of what it feels like to be in God's church, in community, in unity, being used by the power of the Holy Spirit? Think that other people are more significant than you. Told you, that this, this, was, this one's easy, right? We all got this one. I'm just kidding. What's the second thing that he says? Circle it in your Bible. He says, with all humility. And secondly, with gentleness. Now, gentleness can be translated as, as meekness. And I know immediately when we see the word gentleness as a guy, as a dude, I'm like, ah, I don't wanna be gentle. I'm gonna be hard. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be tough, right? Uh, but this isn't the same word, and so we've gotta do a little bit of uh, Greek work today. And, and the New Testament was written in Greek. It's the word praus, and it was literally um, this idea and concept of bridled strength. And so they would use this word, uh, and, and, and that would be translated meekness. In fact, Jesus used this same word in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the meek. What he is saying is this, this idea that a strong horse, think of the strength of this horse. It would be considered meek when the bridle bit would be put in the horse's mouth and this huge, massive, strong animal is now controlled and under the power of the rider. And so this idea and concept is that gentleness means that this, this man, this woman of God, that is so filled with potential and power and strength is bridled, their, their spirit is tamed. In other words, they have the strength and power to control their tongue, to control their actions. And he says, this is what gentleness looks like. Somebody offends you, your first instinct is bam, to lash back out and throw that zinger, that one-liner. And he says, no, gentleness, meekness means, sure, you have the strength and the power and the wit to come back at them, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you choose gentleness, and you're gonna respond differently. That one's easy too, right? Everybody gets that. <laughs> now, this is hard work. It's hard work to be a good teammate, Right, these are the characteristics. Look at the next word. The word is patience. <laughs> right? We're all praying for patience probably. But listen, a lack of patience displays a lack of humility. You see how it goes hand in hand. Because if you have no patience, it means that you think that your schedule is more important than everybody else's schedule. So, you know, you look at your parents, students, and you're like, Mom, Dad, your schedule's not as important as my schedule. I got homework and I got practice, right? And you look at the people at work and you think, I'm way more busy than you, peons. I look at all I gotta do. I'm more important, right? So we're not patient with people that work for us. And on and on and on and on the list goes. And he's, he's calling us in humility to have patience. Prideful people are simply not patient people. Because the more highly you think of yourself, the more quickly you will think you should be the one getting served. And Jesus, again, it's total counterculture way of viewing and living your life. He's calling us to, to give that way up and to live with patience. Circle this next phrase. Here's the next characteristic. He says, bearing with one another in love. Love, love. This is a characteristic. If we wanna be a good teammate at FC, you and I have to embrace, I don't know about you, but I would much rather hang out with perfect people Perfect people are awesome to hang out with because they make me feel good about myself. They don't annoy me. They don't irritate me. And it's just great. <laughs> the problem is there's no such thing as a perfect person. So that's impossible. And so when you are involved in the local church, when you are fulfilling your calling, walking in a manner that is worthy, that means you are intentionally embracing relationships in God's church. And when you do that, 
you will be hurt. You will get offended. Christians hurt each other, just like non-Christians hurt each other. If you thought walking into the church nobody was gonna hurt your feelings, newsflash, it's going to happen. In fact, sometimes God wants it to happen so that we can demonstrate this characteristic of a good teammate and bear with one another in love. In love, I'm gonna forgive you. In love, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. In love, I'm not just gonna leave the church. I'm not just gonna avoid you for the rest of my time here. In love, I'm gonna say, hey, bro, man, that really hurt. Maybe you meant something different, but it hurt. And I just need to share that with you. I love you. I want us to come back together and reconcile this issue. That's what it looks like. And by the way, that's what marriage is supposed to look like as well. If you're not doing that on a, I mean, in my marriage, it's a daily thing, sometimes an hourly thing. Like if we're not willing to do that, you're gonna be in an unhealthy marriage, unhealthy dating relationship. You've gotta learn to be diligent in bearing with one another in love. And now, fifthly, the next thing that he says is to maintain unity. So this is the fifth characteristic of a good teammate. Maintain unity in God's church. And what I love about this is he's not calling you to create it. He's not saying, oh, you've got to invent this way and you've got to do all this. No, he's just saying maintain it. The blood of Jesus Christ on the cross has given us unity in the spirit. We have it. It is here for the taking. The power of the Holy Spirit amongst God's people, there's power in that. There is unity in that. Ephesians 2.14 says that God has broken down the walls that divide us. He's made us one body. So we are one body, but sin divides us. And those who aren't willing to maintain the unity that God is creating here are the things that get us into trouble. So that means we don't gossip about each other. We don't slander each other. We don't hurt each other intentionally. No, we work towards unity. We don't let our agenda get in the way of what God wants to do here. No, we are willing to sacrifice what we need and what we want and be patient with others, bear with one another in love and maintain the unity that God has created for our church. But this change will only happen and can only happen if we come to grips with God's love in the cross. The only way that we can experience this is for us to think more deeply on the gospel, focus more deeply on the gospel, and then, and only then, are we motivated to actually demonstrate these characteristics. Let's keep going. Look at verse 11 of chapter four. He continues and he says, and he gave some to be apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So essentially, He's saying, I have gifted people in different ways. And some of the ones that he has just mentioned are pastors and teachers. And, and so specifically pastors and teachers, our role in the church is to equip the saints, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's my job description. Uh, prayer, ministry of the word, Acts chapter six says that. And, and here, the other part of that job description is to equip the saints for the work. That's my role. Now, your role is to get equipped. And he says, for the work of the ministry. So it's to get equipped and to go to work. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, when do we get to stop? When is this over? Well, we keep doing that until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Just in case you're wondering, that won't happen in this lifetime. So that means we're diligently 
pursuing, becoming a good teammate on God's team our entire life until we meet Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 14, the reason why we do this, the reason why we're engaging the team and becoming a good teammate is verse 14, so that we, will, we, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, what we want is we wanna be able to speak the truth in love and we wanna grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, every single teammate in the room, is joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So as you are equipped, you are now being joined and held together by the power of the Spirit. Together that unity begins to happen when each part is working properly. And when that happens, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you're taking notes, the third thing we need to see is that every single one of us needs to invest in the team. Every single one of us needs to invest in the team. In verse seven, he's saying that each one of us have been given a certain amount of grace. That grace that God has given you is now allowing you to reap uh, a, a paycheck every week. That grace that he has given to you has given you a certain amount of talent, a certain amount of influence in your life, and you're to use that for his glory. In verse 11, he talks about the different roles. And every single person in the room as a follower of Christ has the spirit of God within you. It means you have a spiritual gift. You have a story. You have a purpose. You have a design, a specific design. And God has brought you to this church so that you would invest that design into God's mission of making disciples through this community of believers to change the community around us and beyond. So the question becomes, are you actually investing in the team that you're a part of? Are you investing? Are you making that investment? I would say the first way that we invest is by serving. The first way that each of us can invest is by actually serving. Now, some guys may not wanna share some of the stats that I'm gonna share with you, but I'm gonna share them today because I just feel like you need to know. One of the first stats is a really encouraging stat, and that is this past base camp, we actually crossed the barrier, and we now have just over 1,000 partners at Foothills Church. That's pretty amazing, yeah. I praise God for that. So that is a great, great thing. Like, we have 1,000 people, are you kidding me, that are committed to give and to serve and to attend and to be in a small group? Man, that's incredible. Well, wait, is it? Because when we run the numbers, we find out something that's not so incredible. Of those 1,000 partners, 437 to be exact are not currently serving. So if you're, if you're a guest today, if you're visiting with us, you're just kind of checking out Foothills Church, you just need to kind of chill for a second. This isn't for you. This is for the 437 people who said to God that I am going to make a covenant with the people of Foothills Church. I am gonna serve, I'm gonna attend, I'm gonna give, right? Listen, we didn't make you do that. Matter of fact, if you don't wanna do that, don't go, don't sign up. But the invitation and the calling is to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling which means that then we would fulfill that kind of commitment. If it's not Foothills Church, go to where 
God is calling you to go. But if it's here and you've, and you've made a commitment here, then it's time not just to wear the uniform, it's time to get off the bench and make a contribution. See, everybody wants to be on the team. Everybody wants to be on the football teams at the local high schools around here. <laughs> you go to Maryville, you go to Alcoa. Oh, everybody wants to be on the team. Why? I'm gonna get a ring, right? I wanna hear the crowd yelling and cheering for me. Oh, I want all that. I don't necessarily wanna get out on the field and get, you know, get hit by somebody, <laughs> right? So, so we've got a group of people, a significant, almost half, almost half, that are saying one thing, but they're doing a different thing. And what I would say to you is that you are missing an opportunity to experience the power of the gospel in your life. You're missing an opportunity to invest in the kingdom. You're missing your opportunity to change lives, to be, of some, to be a part of something bigger than yourselves, to build something here in and through this church that transcends your life. Now listen, I'm like the rest of us. I love a big bucket of popcorn and a good movie. But this is not a movie theater. This is God's church. And Paul calls us to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling. And 437 of you apparently look like you're neglecting that. And so part of attending church is your pastor admonishing you and, 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 and inspiring you to get back into the center of God's will for your life. And so part of how we invest and use the gifts that he's given to us that we're reading about today is in fact to serve. I would say it like this. Your walk with God is gonna be revealed through your work with the team. Your walk with God you can, say whatever, you can say whatever you wanna say, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. You can say that all day long. But your walk with God is actually revealed through the work that you do on the team, on God's team, his body, his church. And, and so we look at our, our work on the team and it can reveal to us where our walk with God is and it can show us if it's a worthy walk or if it's an unfaithful walk. So first of all, to invest in God's church with the, with the blessings that he has given us, it means serving his church. And then secondly, it means that we would invest by giving to God's church. We would actually give of the resources, the grace that God has given to us and invest it back into the kingdom of God. You see, the goal for us is not to live on earth forever. You know that, right? That is not the goal, to live here forever. It's actually to leave something that does. And the something that does live forever is your legacy. And, and, and giving is about a legacy. It's, 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 it's leaving something behind. It's establishing that legacy behind you because we're not going to be here forever. See, life is temporary. We know that. It goes by really fast. But what we do in this life actually will impact eternity. So the faith that we have that would lead us to give generously to God's church is given to us so that we could accelerate the vision of making disciples through and in this church. When we give, we fuel that vision. We can hire more staff members. We can start new campuses. We can, we can build out new space. We can do things with those resources that actually impact lives. And I can't think of a better return on your investment than Foothills Church. 
the amount of people that we have seen come to know Christ and the amount of people that are, that are joining, the amount of people that are connecting in our family ministries. Like God is doing something incredible here. Jesus says it best in Matthew chapter six. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How we do that? Well, when we do that, neither moth nor rust destroys there. Thieves don't break in and they don't, they don't steal there. For where your treasure is, there is where your heart is gonna be. So he says, listen, I want you to invest into the kingdom. Don't just focus your life on building your kingdom and things that can, can be stolen, things that can, that can you know, be ruined by rust. Invest in the things that are eternal because what we do for ourselves in this life usually die. But what we do for the lives of other people will live forever. And that's, that's a legacy. That's what leaving a legacy is all about. And I hope you wanna leave a legacy of faith. I hope you wanna leave a legacy here in Blount County. I hope you wanna leave a legacy for your family and your children, your grandchildren. I hope that is your heart today. Well, that's what this whole series is about. Proverbs says it really well in chapter three, verse nine. The Bible says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. The principle there is honor God with your wealth. Some of us just simply honor ourselves with our wealth and we neglect and subtract God from the equation. And then when we're in debt and when we're overspent, we say, I can't give anything to you, God, because I've already given so much to myself and my kids and to our little kingdom here. And we run this rat race over and over and over again and we're miserable and the hand of God is not upon us and the blessing of God is not with us because we don't follow what the word of God says. You've gotta understand that God is calling you to honor him with your wealth. And not all giving is, is the same. In fact, we don't just donate to a good cause. Social justice without spiritual justice is empty. You don't wanna just give resources to an organization that you think is doing a good work. You want to give to organizations that are giving and serving and loving in the name of Jesus, making disciples, impacting people with the gospel. That's where God would call us to invest. Um, here's some more stats for you. That, you know, these are just facts. This is not, you know, just, it's just facts. We've got 797 people who we would call a giving unit who have given any amount of money to Foothills Church in 2019, 797. So if you're married, um, you guys would be considered a, a giving unit. If you've given anything, you're on that radar. Of that 797, 333 gave less than $500 in 2019. So for 333 giving units, not people, giving units, family groups, 333 people gave more money to their cell phone company than to God's kingdom in 2019. And we read a passage like, walk worthy of the manner of the gospel that Jesus has called us to. And we give more money to, to Verizon. That's 42% of the people here that are giving. Of that same amount of people, 230 people gave between $500 and $3,000. And then 
there were 234 people that gave over $3,000 so far. So that boils down to an alarming stat. 13% of the people that are giving to Foothills Church gave 80% of the resources. Usually you would hear like a 20-80 principle, like 20% of the people are giving 80% and that's kind of like the, the lowest of the low and that really sucks, but 20-80, that's kind of normal. So we're like at 13%. So praise God for the 13%. We, we have seen really a miracle, honestly. Like Jesus multiplying you know, a few loaves of bread and some fish to feed the 5,000, that, that's what that 13% really is. And I just wonder what it would look like if across the board today, minus those 234 people that gave, that is 564 people that I would consider not giving 10%. And I would just say of, of that group of people, if you decided just to give a tithe of your income, the average income um, is $50,000 in this community, 10% of that, 564 people, we'd see over $2.8 million given. That would, dunzo, man, building renovated. <laughs> not, even an, not even an issue, finished. Of that same group here, so total almost 800 families. If, if 800 families just gave $1,000 to the vision offering, That'd be $800,000 land counseling center on our way. So from a number standpoint, the giving capacity, here's the glass half full of where we're at as a church. From a giving capacity, we have a lot of capacity to, to, to stretch our muscles in. Like if God's people begin to get serious about the, the calling that God has placed on their life and they start walking in a worthy manner, you're talking about an increase, a spike of, of resources to not only renovate kids' space, to not only get property and counseling center, but campuses beyond campuses and churches beyond churches that would be impacted with the gospel because of our faithfulness. If you're new to FC, I realize that you don't understand that we are a young church. We're just 10 years old. If you come from another church, you come from a church that's probably 70, 7,500 years old, and they already had their building phase. They built it you know, back in the 50s or 60s, now they have these big buildings and they can't fill them. You and I, right here, 2019, 2020, you and I are the builder generation of Foothills Church. That's a heavy responsibility. <laughs> when you think about the 20s and 30s of our, of our country, that was the, the builder generation. My grandparents, farming, industrial revolution, you know, I mean, they were grinding it out, building, growing, establishing. And because of their work, like we were able to have everything, you know, blessing wise in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and so forth. And so that's kind of what I was thinking. I just kind of put that on my heart. We're the builder generation. Like in 75 years from now, this church is gonna be reaching people with the gospel. And none of us are gonna be here. But your heart and your imprint and your sacrifice is gonna be all over the room. It's gonna be all over this campus. And they're not gonna raise a, 
a banner with your name on it or my name, or they're not gonna put a plaque up there on the wall, but there's gonna be one person that knows. In fact, the only person that matters, and his name is Jesus. And he promises us that if we invest in his kingdom, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, he will reward us and bless us for all eternity. And that's worth fighting for. That's worth sacrificing for. Because eternity, last time I checked, is a lot longer than the time that we get here on planet Earth. Like our future is bright and wide and eternal. And that's what we are living for. That's what we have to get our head out of the muck and mire and grind of this life and, 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 and rise above that and say, oh yeah, that's where we're headed. I get so focused and dialed in right here, man, but, but that's where I'm headed. He boils it all down in verse 16. The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. At the end of the day, this is the point. This team, our team, Foothills Church, will be healthy when each team, teammate does their part. When you do your part, we are healthy. I'm not after a big church, I'm after a healthy church. And a healthy church, he breaks it down. The body grows when it's healthy. Your kids, if they're healthy, they grow. But a healthy church grows. And so we'll experience that. It will build itself up in love. Love will continue to be built up as each person does its part. As each person is equipped, he says, we'll be joined together. So we're here to equip. We've got the process, we're, we wanna dial in with you. You've gotta do your part. You've gotta get equipped and you've gotta serve. You've gotta be willing to do your part. So the vision is here. The opportunity to do something that nobody here could do on their own is here. And so the question and the prayer is, God, how would you call me to give? How would you call me to serve? How do you want me to walk in a manner that is worthy, worthy of your calling, of the salvation that I have? How great do I view and value that salvation? Well, if it's equal weight, I'm ready to give everything and to go anywhere that he would call me to go. And this is your chance. This is your opportunity. You can do it. You can step into something. Nervous, sacrificial, not knowing how it's gonna work out. Give of yourself and see how God blesses you. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us. I love Ephesians chapter four. I also know it's extremely challenging to walk, walk it out. And so God, by your grace, may we, may we accept these characteristics and, and hold them dear to be a good teammate, to do our part, not just to show up to wear the uniform, but to actually be ready to get in the game and contribute, to play, to use our gifts, talents, resources, to see people transformed by the gospel. I believe you're gonna do it. I believe everybody in this room is gonna adhere to this challenge. 
And next Sunday, God, when we have our opportunity to give for the vision offering, I pray that it would blow our socks off and we'd be able to do what you've called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.